Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the D&D Podcast. Uh, I am here joined by my two favorite people to have on the podcast, Thank always. Uh, gentlemen, introduce yourselves for those that, again, might not know who you are. So I'm Mike Marles. I am the Senior Manager for the D&D Research and Design Team. And I'm Rodney Thompson. I am a designer on Dungeons & Dragons. All right. Gentlemen, lovely to see you as always. Thank you. Yeah, Glad uh, to have you back, by the way. Right. I know. You were I, out for the last <laughs> one. I was suffering from some sickness, and then I went to Emerald City Comic Con and continued to have more sickness. So oh, my throat's a little scratchy. You had a bad case of the Comic Cons? I had a yeah, bad case of the Comic Cons. It was the worst. Um, but I was here. <laughs> I'm, but I happened to be here the day Felicia Day was here. So, yeah. you know, that, that all worked out. Funny how it works out like that. <laughs> yes, I suddenly felt better. Uh, we're let's talk about D and D next. We've got we've got some major stuff coming up, especially with D and D next. We've got some new playtest packets. We got Pax East, which we're going to cover in another episode later on. But let's focus on what is coming up for D and D next. Okay. Well, so we are working on the next public packet right now, and uh, I don't know exactly when this podcast is going to air, so it may well be out by the time that uh, this podcast airs, but uh, we are working on a packet now that includes a lot of revisions to the base classes and is also going to include a few new classes as well, the Paladin, the Ranger, and the Druid, like we talked about last time. So basically, it is both an update to the existing stuff and some new content coming out uh, at the same time. And of course, when you have the Ranger and the Druid, uh, and the Paladin, too. That also means a bunch of new spells uh, that are going to be coming out as well. So the spells are getting expanded. This is also, it's our first real big packet since the new year started. I mean, we've had some minor updates, um, the Barbarian earlier in the year. But uh, this one has changes that touch almost every part of the system. So it's a pretty big one. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I'm sorry, Mike, I cut you off. I was, what I was going to say, you have done, like every time we've talked, it was like, oh, we got a small packet, we got a small packet, we got a right. small packet. And now it's going to be like, here's a major drop. Right, exactly. Uh, did you want to finish what you were saying before I... Oh, no, I was going to start asking questions about what's in the packet. Well, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, before we get into that, like why, why is there a reason that you guys waited to do like this big drop now? Or is there something, is that part of the plan? Is it just the way it came out? You're like, oh, we have a playtest packet scheduled we have all this information, let's just make this a bigger playtest. Well, we had the holidays. That was obviously a big part right. of what slowed us down. And then, of course, we had Winter Fantasy, where our big focus was getting you know the Barbarian out and getting that out of the wilds. Uh, this time around, we also wanted to make some pretty big changes to the math behind the game, specifically looking at uh, the differences between your martial weapon-using characters and your spell-casting characters. Uh, got a new way internally of you know figuring out monster XP and stuff like that. So there are a lot of uh, changes that had far-reaching consequences in this one. So even though we might be changing huh. one thing. Uh, and so when you have something that big, it just takes a while. So mostly just making sure that we've got, uh, when we make one change that ripples throughout the system, that we've addressed all those different things that it, that it hits. As Mike was saying now, what's, let's, let's delve into some of this, this awesome playtest packet goodness. Okay. Yeah, like w w what's changed with the math? Okay, so one of the things that we, we looked at uh, in the last packet based on audience feedback, based on player feedback, was that there were a lot of people that um, you know were interested in our, our martial damage dice, but felt like it sort of made the weapon you use a little inconsequential. Uh, that combined with, you know, there's people not 
totally thrilled with the way two weapon fighting works and a couple of other different things made us sort of reconsider, okay, how are we handling the damage that these, these martial classes are doing? And, and when I say martial classes, I even include like the Ranger and the Paladin in that because they are primarily weapon using classes. So one of the big changes that we're looking at implementing here is uh, instead of a bunch of D6s that you add on as your martial damage dice, now your base damage with a weapon goes up at the rate determined by your weapon damage dice. So, for example, if you're a 10th level fighter, instead of throwing, you know, with a longsword, instead of throwing a D8 plus, you know, 3D6 or whatever, now it's actually going to be 3D8, right? So it's all based hmm. on your weapon. And a change like that, of course, has big impact on, you know, how tough monsters are and, and how tough encounters are. So um, that was... That was probably the biggest math change uh, in the game. And then we also looked at a, a better way to calculate monster XP so that hopefully we'll be getting more accurate uh, more accurate encounters out of it because you know sometimes we've had uh, issues in the last few playtest packets where uh, a fight would be way too easy or way too hard and we were hoping to you know be a little bit more accurate and we think we worked out a better system for uh, figuring out XP for monsters. Does that mean that the static bonus to damage is going away? It is, yeah. And that's another effort to sort of simplify things. Uh, it, it was another thing that people were like, well, this is this is okay, but it's just I have to remember I can only use it on one attack around. If I make multiple attacks, then I have to decide which one to use it on. And we can get sort of the same effect now by letting you use your, your weapon dice and just sort of reevaluating the rest of the, the math behind the the, the martial progression, effectively. So does that mean essentially damage is going down a bit for those guys? It is going to go down. Um, we have likewise you know, adjusted monster XP to accommodate that, right? So monsters are going to be a little bit tougher, even though you're not going to be hitting them any less than you were before. So um, yeah, there, there are some adjustments that happen in the rest of the system to account for that martial damage going down. That seems to be the general trend. What we do is we don't necessarily change all the monster stats. We just change the XP value. Right, exactly. And, and monsters get tougher or easier uh, relative to what the, the characters are doing. Yeah. And, of course, we look at things. You know, I've talked a lot about the martial damage, but we then turn around and look at things like spell damage or cantrip damage and want to make sure that relative to our weapon-using classes, our spells are doing the right amount of damage. So, for example, uh, some of the cantrips are going to go down in damage based on what they were doing before because, likewise, your weapon-using classes have seen a, a slight reduction as well. We want to make sure that ratio between what the spellcasters are doing at will and what the weapon-users are doing at will stays the same even when one number or another adjusts. So it's, it's more than just tinkering with weapon damage. It is... I mean, it, it spreads to the other classes as well. So let's talk about the classes that are coming up in this next playtest. You mentioned uh, the Druid, the Paladin. Ranger. The Ranger. Oh, man. People Ranger Danger, Ranger. Mike. <laughs> so what, what are people, what are players going to expect to see with these, these introductions? So the Paladin and the Druid, I think, are going to look the most traditional of, of the classes that are coming out. Basically, uh, we have taken an approach that these guys have a lot of very iconic abilities that are just a yeah. part of their very nature. So we want to replicate those. Uh, one of the cool things we're doing with like the Paladin is we've seen a lot of desire from people, especially when we talk about the Monk, right, to be looser with alignment restrictions and things like that. So we looked at the Paladin and we said, okay, even though Paladins are sort of defined by a code of ethics, a code of ethics can mean a lot of different things. Yeah. Uh, couple that with the fact that the Paladin is sort of our most knightly class. We've effectively given you a choice when you build a Paladin between three options. 
Uh, one's the Cavalier, which is your more traditional, you know, knight in shining armor, good guy paladin. Uh, you can also choose to be a blackguard, which are the evil anti-paladins. Um, and then the third one, which is uh, something that we we uh, are really excited about here, is the uh, uh, the third one is sort of a green knight archetype, uh, taking the kind of interesting nature knight aspects of the warden from 4th edition and integrating it into the paladin class and, and making sure that, you know, that... that Interesting classic archetype, that Green Knight, like Sir Gowan and the Green Knight uh, archetype is yeah. represented in the game. And also it gives us a place for the Warden, who if you look at a lot of the, the art and the depiction of the Warden in, in Fourth, is very much the nature knight. They've always got the big shield and the you know even though it's leather armor and what have you, it's they're, they're very knightly. And so that's kind of an exciting thing. It's a chance for us to give us another archetype inside the Paladin to play that is... You know, rich with with tradition and story, and also kind of new and exciting at the same time, which is a fun mix. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, and what about uh, the ranger? The ranger is uh, he's getting a few upgrades from what you've seen in previous editions. The ranger is going to get spells from level one, which is a, a big difference. Uh, the ranger also has a different take on on favorite enemy. And Mike, you did the initial design on the the favorite enemy for the ranger. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Basically, the idea was like you know if you take something like favorite enemy, rather than saying okay, your favorite enemy is goblin, so you get a bonus against goblins. Take a step back and think, well, what's what are useful abilities that you can use against that type of creature? And so, for instance, uh, you can choose dragon as your favorite favorite enemy, right? And rather than say you get plus two against dragons, which if you've been following since the beginning, like we have this idea of, of our accuracy being something that doesn't really grow. So instead of just giving you an accuracy bump, um, which we don't really want to do in this system, we just look at dragons and say, well, what would be useful against a dragon? So for instance, dragons have a fear aura. So a dragon slayer would want to be immune to fear, right. fearless, which also thematically makes a lot of sense. Hey, you're a guy who at first <laughs> first level, yeah, you're a first level character who has decided that you hate dragons and you're going to hunt them down. You're probably crazy and or fearless. <laughs> So what that means, though, is if you're now your character, let's say you chose that option, your character's immune to fear because you're a dragon hunter. Well, that ability also applies if you're fighting undead. If you're fighting a necromancer who throws cause fear on you, mm-hmm. it doesn't affect you. You're fearless, right? You're trained. You've, you're, you're willing to take on a dragon by yourself. So, you know, some first level spell is not going to daunt you. Um, and so similar things. If you're a giant slayer, um, I think what was the um, the kind of humanoid slayer? I kind of think it was almost the as brute like, slayer. Is yeah, something like that. that. I thought it was almost as like the, the drist option where it's like, yeah, right. you're the guy who <laughs> cleaves through orcs, you know, the um, so you're good at fighting mobs of guys. Right. You can imagine, you know, like a, the lone, you know, a ranger on his own and like, you know, the forest taking on 30 orcs at once, you know, because you know he ambushes some an, an orc uh, patrol. What abilities would help him fight against groups of creatures, things like that? So regardless of, you know, of who exactly you're fighting, these abilities can come into play and you're not just thinking, well, unless I'm fighting undead, let's say if that's my chosen enemy, I don't really have any benefits. And a lot of that also goes back to, I mean, I remember this very vividly because I played this character playing a uh, a ranger with favorite enemy undead in a Ravenloft game. Right. <laughs> which just, I mean, I basically made undead explode because, you know, I just had so <laughs> many bonuses and they just stack. It's very tricky for a dungeon master because the um, the way I've always thought of it is, like, if I have someone, someone in the party who's, like, let's say a dragon slayer or whatever, then, well, I want to, you know, it makes sense in my campaign to have those creatures for you to fight. Or if you hear rumors of a dragon, that character is going to want to go track it down. But... There's a funny tension between when the when the enemy shows up, 
how powerful should your benefit be, right? right? If you're only getting against it, then what happens if you make it like good enough that it feels really powerful? Now you're, is it too easy now? You're just like chopping the dragon up to pieces. And then, then in turn, disincents the DM from including that monster in. Yeah, anymore, you just right? get a little like, frustrated. Right? It's yeah. like, yeah, like, do I really want the big villain to be a dragon in this campaign or in this area or in this dungeon? Whatever. It's just, you know, <laughs> it's it, it's a little tricky to make that, you know, make that feel satisfying at the table. Where in a lot of ways, I think of things like Dragon Slayer, a lot of it's a role playing hook, right? Like, mm-hmm. especially if you're playing like kind of an open ended campaign, you just know, hey, that character wants to go fight dragons. Right. I can just, oh, there's rumors of a dragon to the north and this village was burned to the ground. Oh, that character wants to go check it out, you know? So kind of letting those things remain as story elements for the DM to build adventures or campaigns or whatever, or just their players to use, hey, this is my guy's hook, you know? And then think of the benefits a little more, no, I don't want to say abstract, but just more broadly applicable. Right. But it is nice that like, you're fighting the dragon, and so the, the ranger who's the dragon slayer with this tuned sword who is rushing up, like, okay, when the dragon's fear aura kicks in, you know that ranger's not running away because he's a dragon slayer. But then saying, look, on the and the if we have to go explore some old you know uh, graveyard or something, or you're dealing with a vampire, he's fearless, right? He's still the happy to have yeah, that ability, still, exactly, right? right? It still comes up. So it's not we're basically we're we're forcing ourselves uh, to look at abilities and not give you a discount on their power because we don't we think they're narrow, right? We assume if you're using something, you're using it at the right time, and yeah. so we're not saying, oh, this is this can be like more powerful because you only use it when you fight kobolds, like that's not. I don't think it's a very good way to balance things because you're kind of telling the DM, like, here's how you have to build your campaign. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's giving you a really weird, like you said, it's giving you kind of a weird mixed message of like, do I want, wait a sec, if I throw kobolds at him, it's easy. Like that's, like you kind of think of it like uh, in a lot of stories, when you have a character who has like a sworn enemy, that when you face that sworn enemy, that's actually your most difficult fight, you know, yeah. or it's the most important fight, you know, like you know, it doesn't, that's, that's not the trivial fight. That's the fight that's got a lot of meaning and import to it. And so I think that's something where, you know, we wanted to make sure you had that mix right where, mm-hmm. thinking back to the example of the Dragon Slayer, you're happy to have those abilities. They're applicable in a lot of situations, but it doesn't mean that the dragon, oh, the dragon's just, you know, Trivial. it's just chum, yeah. right? Like, no, it's going to be pretty hard. It's still a really tough, you know, fight. It's just, okay, there's certain things I don't have to worry about that other characters have to manage. Yeah, I sort of think of it like you've got all these abilities that when the stars align and you do fight the thing that you're geared to fight, you're really happy because everything is firing on all cylinders. But just because you're the best at fighting the dragon doesn't mean that the fighting the dragon is easy. Exactly. And so especially when we talk about numerical bonuses, those are simple, but it's a case where like, yeah, but it's simple to implement, but it may, it might, may end up at the table not being really the experience you right. want. Or it's like, yeah, this just doesn't fit when you think of in your mind what should happen when the dragon slayer finally confronts the worm. Like, And there's something fun about being able to do a thing or being able to resist a thing that you couldn't otherwise resist that makes it feel more special than just like, oh yeah, I got plus two AC against kobolds. Yeah. Now I'm going to put Rodney in the spot. Oh, good. <laughs> Cause I, I have podcasts in a row. Eh? <laughs> I haven't seen the design yet. Cause oh, good. Uh, I've been DMing. That's so. right. But I will start playing. Well, I am playing, but I'm just playing a wizard right now. Right. Um, are you able to create your own favorite enemies by mixing and matching? Not benefits? at first right now because they are kind of geared towards, okay, we want you to fight this particular kind of thing. But you'll see some of the individual elements of those appear in multiple different ones. So I think that uh, that might be a little ways down the road, but they are built to these sort of component parts that we could see assembling in different ways. I think if, we, if we're going to end up doing that, we might try and make that a, a like a DM option at first. So basically, yeah. okay, in my campaign, 
you know, just going to make this up randomly. Uh, I'm running an Eberron campaign. I want to make sure there's a Warforged uh, favorite enemy option, right? Like, I'm really good at killing the Warforged because during the last war, I was a total, you know, Warforged hating machine or whatever. Yeah. Um, that would be something we would want a, a DM to be able to put together pretty easily out of component parts. Uh, but again, it's sort of tailored to that particular campaign and that particular player. So reply hazy ask again later yeah. i think is what I would <laughs> but it, it, it's it's probably within reach we just have to figure out like yeah yeah because i was just thinking it's one of the things as a dm that i like because you could imagine if you're running a realms campaign you could say hey you, you know you could have favorite enemy drow you right. know, it's an easy one or favorite enemy like a, a faction in the world like the red yeah. wizards or um yeah you're you're a bounty hunter that specializes in taking yeah. down red wizards yeah because yeah. you're just or just you know you're um what's what's the name um oh um, uh rashomon you know you're oh yeah the berserker a lot, you know, berserker right. from there or something. So you just you hate the red wizards. That's your enemy. So, and cause it would just be, be kind of interesting to me that you could kind of cobble something together saying, okay, well, you know, in that's, you know, usually in my area, we faced incursions by the, by, uh, the Zulkir of necromancy. So I'm really mm-hmm. good against undead, but I'm also pretty good against magic. And so it's kind of this nice mix of right. the, um, well, plus uh, there's going to be a lot of DMS out there that run their own campaign exactly. settings, might have their own unique monsters, their own unique factions. So it's something we will want to accommodate in some fashion. Yeah. I always like character options as a DM where I can see how I can build those into my mm-hmm. world where it's not, Oh, you're not just a dragon slayer. There is this order, mm-hmm. you know, this uh, loose alliance of Rangers who are the dragon slayers in this campaign, you know, right. in the, in the far North, you know, with this, where they all, they patrol and watch for signs of dragons. When a dragon shows up, they gather and go hunt it down. You yeah. Know? So you get a nice, a nice hook to, to really pull a character into the world. Mm-hmm. And it makes your, your world and your campaign stand out from, okay, I'm running a bog standard campaign. Now it's okay. I'm actually playing in your campaign because there's this option that I could choose for my character that either you created or that is unique to your campaign, whatever you want to yeah. say. I think that's really exciting. And it's just, a, I would argue that that's a core part of the, the, the D and D experience for a huge section of our audience that they want their campaign. They play with their DM to feel really, really different and unique and plus i think the dms are often some of the most invested players who want to customize the game oh yeah for for themselves so yeah it's absolutely something we want to keep in mind it reminds me of one of the things and i get to to make rodney feel i I ambush you the question and i'll offer you praise yeah excellent (laughs) i I play in rodney's tuesday night campaign that's true and i think one of the things that works really well with it is that i'm going to talk about rodney a third person because you guys are listening and you know he's sitting across (laughs) uh rodney runs a very freeform game i would say that there are a lot of situations where because of the character's ties to the setting, that that's what's driving a lot of the action. Right. So, for instance, my character, and I'm going to let you know in a secret, the other players don't know, though they probably suspect, um, my character is posing as a lawful neutral inquisitor when, in fact, he's a chaotic neutral, basically devotee of chaos. He's just going around causing trouble for every <laughs> every religious order he can, he can mess with. <laughs> yeah, I've been in, insulting servants of the sun god, and I threaten them on behalf of the church that I'm not a member of, but pretending to be a member of. And now I'm trying to arrange the death of the head of the church of magic <laughs> because yeah. I have an excuse to. So I'm sure that keeps it makes things interesting for you. But we ended up going into this dungeon because just my character, I'm like, oh, this is great. I know that the head of this order is in this dungeon. Let's go there and kill her, right? And that's how we ended up in there. <laughs> that's right. But it felt great as a player to feel like we're really driving the action. You know, like it feels really fun because you don't really know when you sit down to play where exactly we're going to end up. Well, and that's one of the things I've mentioned this before with you guys at at the actual game. But one of the things I like to do is I like to set up the situation and just 
kind of turn you guys loose because, uh, you know, we talk about player types. Mike is definitely an instiga- instigator type, right? <laughs> Mike makes things happen sometimes in the most chaotic way possible. But we, we have other players that do it in different ways as yeah. well. And at this point, I can basically say, okay, here's the situation. And I sprinkle through a couple of hooks for different characters. Like, okay, this NPC that Mike cares about is here. This NPC that Dan's character uh, cares about is here as well. Let's see what happens. Yeah. So, I'm sort of like a, a really bad chemist. I throw a bunch of chemicals into a pot and then I stand back. I don't say it's bad. It's fun. It makes. Well, I'm a bad chemist. Good DM. Okay. <laughs> and, and and just to, to be clear, my character's mo is I cause chaos, then I turn invisible. That's true. That is true. That, that is that is definitely your mo. Basically, what I do. <laughs> you know, what I like I like chaos without consequences. Exactly right. That's the core tenet of my character's religion. All right, so we've talked about math. Yep. Because math is always important, especially in D&D. And terribly exciting to listen to on a podcast, <laughs> I might add. <laughs> Next time, we'll just roll a bunch of dice. Right. And we're like, see, this would be your, your result. And we won't even tell them what the result is. Right, 30 minutes of them listening to dice roll. That rolling. sounds like riveting <laughs> cinema. Or we talked about some of the new classes. Let's talk. You said you wanted to mention the changes that are happening. You said some yeah. characters are getting changes. What are those changes that are going to happen? So I would say the two biggest classes, that are, or two classes that are getting the biggest revisions uh, that people have seen before are obviously the fighter and the rogue. And those are both two classes that have already been through a lot of iteration and we're going to continue to to work on those. But both classes are seeing a pretty big uh, I wouldn't say overhaul, but restructuring is a, is a great way to put it. You know, I talked a little bit about the changes to martial damage before. One of the big pieces of feedback we got from fighter players is that um, the way that we had our maneuvers working previously was you had your weapon attacks and then you had your extra martial damage dice and then you would have to do less damage in order to do the fun and exciting things, right? Uh, and that felt kind of bogus because it's like, well, I either get to be awesome or I get to do something interesting. And that that didn't feel great for a lot of people. So one of the big changes we're making here is uh, basically taking the fighter and saying, okay, you're getting that extra damage output. It just It's just going to happen. It's automatic. You get to do more damage with your weapon as you go up. That just happens. And then separately... We've got we were you know tinkering with these expertise dice again that are just for doing the cool thing and it, it's not part of your core damage progression. It's not like you have to say okay I'm a lot weaker in order to do this. Instead, it is here is your bucket of toys that you get to do interesting things with right away. And that's where we um, do things like uh, our glancing blow mechanic, which previously was a separate class feature or a maneuver. No, now it's just you know what you've got this bucket of toys. If you want to. You know, if you want to hit a guy that you missed, here's a way that you can do that. You can throw this die and add it to your attack bonus. Or um, our parry mechanic previously was, okay, well, you've got to spend your dice and do less damage this turn in order to do this. No, no, no. Now it's just, okay, you've got this bucket, and you can spend it and parry the attack. And it's it's a bigger effect because, you know, it's not you're not sacrificing damage and things like that. Trying to push the fighter in a realm where he gets to feel awesome and sort of do the the expected fighter damage, the expected fighter things, both at the same time. And I think that's it's a big change structurally, and we've pushed a lot of things that were maneuvers into class features uh, in order to make that happen. But I think that's also a lot of fun because that means that the fighter has something that is truly his. And right now, no other class is getting this this yeah. feature, right? No one else has this bucket of toys. If you want... If you want that bucket of toys, you got to play a fighter. And it feels to me now as a DM that what happens is, it, I used to kind of joke that the, the fighter, 
the, the Marshall guys would make monsters explode like blood sausages. That is time. true. They're doing yes. like my orc. Had, oh, this orc has 11 hit points. And he got hit for 28. And <laughs> the next hit orc gets hit for 28. That goes a lot of damage. And so now it feels like that damage is more like, okay, the fighter is hitting for like, say, eight to 12 damage. It's like yeah. a third or fourth of a party. And yeah, I think, I think he has a great, a great sword too on top of that. So he's chopping down an orc and sometimes he rolls low and the orc survived and all that other stuff. But when the, the fighter player, Bruce in this case decides to pump up his attack, yeah. that's when he just like clobbers someone. Right. And that feels right. I mean, as a DM, that feels right. Right. You know, the, if the party is like, Oh, it's an ogre or a troll with a bunch of orcs. Like you, once you get up close to the or the, the ogre, the, then you hit him really hard. Yeah. But it also has a kind of nice peak moment of in the fight. Yeah. Well, one of the things, and this is a great example of where you know we have these ideas in design, and when they hit the playtest, we learn a lot more about our game, right? Because originally we had thought, okay, we'll create these maneuvers and we'll give you these martial damage dice, and you can spin dice to do these maneuvers. So since we want you to do these maneuvers, we'll give you a lot of those dice, right? Because we want you to have, feel free to spend a few of them. But then what ends up happening is you sit there and look at it, and you're like, well, okay, in practical play, yeah, I could spend some of my dice on you know these extra maneuvers or whatever but the right thing to do is just kill the monster yeah, faster kill the monster as quickly as possible right yeah. and so now it's like okay we're gonna let you kill the monster at the right rate whatever we want that to be and uh give you this extra bucket and that way we've sort of sidestepped that that blood sausage issue because previously <laughs> because we wanted to give you enough to, toys to play with we just gave you a bunch more damage that you would sacrifice and then what really ended up happening was we gave you a lot more damage and now you feel bad when you trip the guy or whatever yeah. right and the nice thing about that is, uh, as a mechanic, it's it's very flexible. We basically now have the fighter's own unique way. If yeah. we say want to go to non-combat things, mm-hmm. or and I'm going to bring it up, uh, the warlord, because yep. you can imagine a warlord ability where you have these dice yeah. and you're spending them to reduce damage people are taking. Yes. You're reducing your own damage. You're basically giving people, hey, tactical orders. I can spend some dice, and yeah. we could even figure out, hey, how much. From a balance standpoint, mm-hmm. you can give someone an order to make an attack with a yeah. big bonus, or you attack and they attack, that right. kind of hammer and envelope yeah. approach. Because we know now these dice, how much they're worth, and we can now more accurately cost yeah. those out. Because we actually have integrated a few of those things into this uh, into this version of the fighter. And I think that some of the things you're talking about, obviously, we haven't designed yet, but they're things that we can look at in the future. Um, based on our last discussion, I think that some of the aspects of the Warlord that were based on uh, buffing your allies and really being a, a helper to other people are already in this version of the fighter and there's still more to come, right? Yeah. So I don't want anybody to get the impression that, well, this is it. This is how we're doing <laughs> everything related to the warlord. No, this is yeah. a first step and there's still more that has to be done and we fully acknowledge that. But we, you know, we can test a few things here and there and basically say, okay, you want to build a fighter that can uh, help his allies more than he helps himself. That's that's starting to peek through in this, exactly. in this version of the fighter. And I think that's that's pretty exciting. And then we did something similar with the rogue, but again, um, pushing the rogue in more of a unique direction where he stands out as here are the kind of things that I can do as a rogue. The rogue is a is a tricky class because in <laughs> yeah, tricky because in some <laughs> ways the rogue is about being a trickster and you know being skill oriented and being deceptive and sneaky. But on the other hand, we have you know some expectations that the rogue are the big damage dealers. They do a lot of damage to a single target. I mean, you look at the way sneak attack works in fourth edition, and it's about okay, I want to get combat advantage so that I can get my sneak attack damage. And so the rogue kind of gets pulled in two different directions. And so the one of the things we're going to try and do with this version of the rogue is make sure that you can be 
tricky when you want to be and make sure that you can uh, still find those situations where when you can get the the advantage, when you can get the drop on an opponent, you are devastating them. And that was very much, you know, your first edition, your AD&D Rogue with Backstab. It was harder to get because basically you had to figure out, okay, am I actually back literally stabbing the guy in the back or you had to surprise somebody, but we want to bring a lot of that back. So with the, uh, with the rogue, we're looking at, okay, well, you've got sneak attack and then we've got some different things that you can do with your sneak attack. And then we've got an ability to basically give yourself advantage or give yourself the ability to use your sneak attack um, in limited quantities. So, we're, we're going to continue to to push the Rogue in its own unique direction as well, and I think that's going to be uh, another big positive because fans of the Rogue basically have, have said a lot of the time that they like what the Rogue does. They just want to do it more, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want to have to hide every other round just to do my sneak attack. I don't want to have to hide just to, you know, get the drop on somebody and do something sneaky. So uh, experimenting with more ways that the Rogue can be sort of autonomous and tricky on his own. Yeah, it's a challenging class because a lot of – if you look back to the Rogue – when the class first appeared, it was all about basically the skill system. Right. The rogue was, hey, I get my own skill system. It was the yeah. skill system in a lot yeah. of ways. And so if you were to say, and based on, I think the rogue is the most varied class in terms of how people have played it. Because yep. if you were to say to me, hey, what would, based on the rogues I played, I just want to have a really, a, a way to succeed at really tough skill checks. Because mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of ways, it's like, well, I want to play the rogue who can talk his way past anything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, a lot of that comes down to the DM. Because yeah. some DMs would go, and I think I'm kind of this way, like, oh, that's kind of a, like, I want to talk my way into the Thieves Guild. I'm like, well, okay, that's going to cause more trouble than it's going to solve for you. So that's DC 10, right? Like, <laughs> as opposed to like, I want to convince this guy to make me king. It's like, well, that's going to be DC 30. Or like, <laughs> you know, it kind of goes back to the core mechanic of the game and how the DM's handling it. You can have a very different experience as a rogue based on how open your DM is to to improvising or using skill checks. I mean, yeah. I've had that experience just playing with different DMs. Some DMs are very like, great, that sounds like fun. I give you really low DCs all the time and other DMs are like I think you're trying to pull one over on me so I'm going to make this really hard or it could be a comfort thing right it it is clearly more difficult when you're a DM to adjudicate that sort of free form I'm trying to do something weird and out of the ordinary than it is to simply adjudicate combat for example right like it's easy for me to know okay that orc's going to swing his axe and do this much damage it's much harder to know what happens when you get a 31 on that check and they make you the king right yeah exactly that that's tough, right? So there's there's a DM experience and comfort level issue with the rogue as well. It's probably of all the classes the one that's most dependent on the style of game you're running yeah. at the table. Because some people would say the rogue, uh, the rogue having sneak attack just doesn't feel right. Because if they've played more freeform games that mm-hmm. aren't as combat driven, they're like, well, I just like being able to use my skills and, and know that I'm the best at it. Whereas if you're more in a combat driven game, you probably think think of the rogue as more as no, I'm the ambusher, yeah. I'm the skirmisher, I can sneak attack, you know, dive in and dive out of the fight, or I'm a sniper with yeah. a bow. Mm-hmm. So I think of the classes conceptually, it's been the one that's most stretched in the most directions. Yeah. I think most people think fighter, okay, you're really good at fighting. Yeah. Uh, wizard and cleric, you have a sense of like, oh, okay, the cleric is the devotee of the gods. Uh, you can almost think in a way that the clerics like in the more role play act aspect of it is more well, what deity do you follow? What does right. that mean for your ethos and how you act? And your spells are all your support spells, buff spells, and, and healing. Mm-hmm. Wizard is you blow stuff up, and you get the kind of funky, like, make people, no, invisibility, stuff like right, that. Right, right. The Trickstery kind of Polymorph. thing. Polymorph. Yeah, exactly, right. right. The um, so, Yeah, I can't wait till you get that one in my campaign, yeah. by the way. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm pursuing that one being great. That'll be fun. Yeah. See, that'll be the thing. I'll, I'll just polymorph. I'll polymorph the fighter into like a bird and keep him like out oh, no, of my pocket. And you'll be in my pocket. Yeah, throw me. Ah, fighter attack. The, uh, I choose you, fighter Jew. Right? <laughs> uh, see, that's what I'm going to try to... I bet you I can convince You can probably convince character. at least one player yeah. in the game to let you do that. Yep. Of course, then when you simply say, okay, you're a bird in my pocket smother <laughs> that could be uh that could be less exciting yeah i i think you're absolutely right about the rogue being pulled in a lot of different directions so the big challenge is going to be can we satisfy people in all those different directions and so this iteration of the rogue definitely looks at uh the rogue as being able to be that sort of offensive uh you know combat machine and at the same time if you don't want to play that guy you have some choices that you can make and be like okay well i don't want to be you know a super damagey guy but i might be the guy that distracts the monster or I may be the guy that that nimbly dodges out of the way so that since we can predict mostly that you will be in combat at some point in Dungeons and Dragons, the guy who wants to be more the trickster or the charlatan still has some things he can do that are in keeping with his character um, and doesn't feel totally out in the cold. So uh, again, we're going to keep working on it, but I think there's some I think there's some exciting stuff coming up in both directions there. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty awesome packet when it drops. Yeah, I hope people like it because I, I think we've we're stepping closer and closer to a game experience that's going to satisfy a lot of people. Yeah, you can see where with the classes, like we're getting much more zeroed in on what we're changing. Like, right. yeah, sure, things are changing with the fighter, but like we're just getting the sort of the model of how maneuvers work. Like, for instance, like I know with the fighter right now is when you, <clears throat> you spend a die, it's spent. You have to yeah. use an action basically to rest for a moment to yeah. catch your breath and get it back. Right. And you can get more dice as you go up in levels. So we're really not changing the concept of the class. We're changing how we're doing it. Yeah, and there's some structural changes too, like how maneuvers are presented versus yeah. like class features. But from our standpoint, like we're not at the point where like, well, we really can't go ahead with, the, let's say, the paladin. Like clearly we're, we can go ahead because we are doing the paladin and ranger. Right. Because we have the fighter conceptually, we know where he is. Yeah. And that is the new, as, and as more classes come online, you'll see that it's it, it is it's kind of a, I mean, you have challenges, but it's nice to have a challenge at this stage where it's like, how do we get the rogue expressed exactly, rather right. than like, how do we make combat work? Right, <laughs> like, where we're much, we're, we're very far down the road in terms of our core mechanics and stuff. Yeah, the, uh, and now actually we had a conversation yesterday about the DMG and what mm-hmm. we're looking at for that book, and I think. I don't want to give any spoilers, so I won't, but it's letting us take a really like a, a really different approach to some of these, especially the DMG, I think, is probably the book that's going to look the most different compared to prior yeah, editions. I think that anything Ooh. that you see about DMing in this game, like I think we've got the basic mechanics of DMing moving in the right direction, right? We want to keep it simple and streamlined and make it easy for you to run the game. But then there's the other aspect of it that we talked about earlier, that tinker aspect that yeah. I think is something that we absolutely want to service with... Uh, with this game. Yeah, exactly. Man, that sounds... I don't want to say ominous, but I like I like that. <laughs> we're going to leave it there, and so we're going to let the speculation resume, as always. Uh, so, gentlemen, thank you guys very much for taking time out of your day to talk about D&D Next and the Playtest Packet and all the awesomeness that's coming down. Again, everything sounds great. Uh, for, if you guys out there listening want to join in, again, feedback is always, always welcome and appreciated. You can go to dndnext.com to get the playtest packet, sign up for the playtest, provide feedback. Mike, Rodney, thanks again, guys. Oh, thank you. Thank you. See you around, everybody.